So you catch me when I fall, right? And you hear me when I call crying And you fix me when I'm broke, right? And that's all I need to know So the storm is gonna break, right? And the sun is gonna start shining And everything is gonna go right that's all I need to know. God bless. Reading out of First John today, which is very interesting to me, the way that when you see what I'm going to be sharing on, and you, if you you know think about what has already been shared this morning, the prayers, the manifestations, this whole fellowship is being coordinated by the Lord. It's just really quite remarkable. And First John, I've been reading First John uh, for the last couple of weeks, uh, just you know, deeply thinking about the stuff that's in here. It's a wonderful, wonderful epistle for a little bit of context. And context is very important when you're reading these letters and these epistles. You know, you want to ask yourself, when was it written? Who was it written to? Why was it written? What is, what is the context of the letter, especially with something like First John? Because there are sections of First John that are used quite extensively to teach false doctrines. One of the biggest false doctrines that come out of First John is the idea that you can lose your Christian salvation. And if you don't understand the context of what you're reading, that can happen. And when I say context, I don't just mean the context in, in light of the historical context, but also the context in light of the scriptural context. What, where does this epistle fit in light of the rest of the doctrine of scripture, especially the, the Christian scriptures? So First John was probably written somewhere late as far as the epistles uh, go, as the, the Christian scriptures go, somewhere around 85 to 95 A.D., we know that the, the Apostle John was the only apostle who, as far as we know, wasn't martyred. All the other 11 who died at the point of the sword for their Christian beliefs. And then that's a remarkable study. If you want to take a look at you know, some of the way that, ways that these men lived their lives and, and gave up their lives for the gospel, it will definitely kind of make you realize you got to up your game a little bit, <laughs> you know, as far as uh, your commitment to the Word of God. But John, he didn't have an easy life. From what, from what we understand, he was um, exiled to uh, an island of Pathos, I believe is the name, uh, where he wrote a lot of these letters and also received the Revelation, uh, the Apocalypse, Book of Revelation, too. So even in his old advanced years, under very severe situation, because he wasn't, you know, having a nice time at some spring villa there. From what I understand, he was working in a salt mine at 85, 90 years old under Roman prison conditions. Not pleasant, I'm sure. But even under those conditions, he was able to write these wonderful God-inspired words, and uh, we get to enjoy those today. Imagine being there in that salt mine and, and, you know, being under those conditions and receiving the revelation of, of the book of Revelation, seeing the stuff that he saw. That must have been awe-inspiring. Talk about, you know, motivating to keep you going. Amazing. But one of the reasons that First John is written is because, you know, 85 years, A.D., 85, 95, we already have some pretty significant heresies growing in the church. And the Gnostics are out there teaching Gnosticism. Gnostics uh, comes from Gnosis, which is the word uh, translated a lot for knowledge. And these were a guy, bunch of guys that went around saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that you've got 
you've got your your scripts, you got the revelation from Paul and you got the revelation from Peter and John, but but we have a special knowledge that, you know, we're 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 the spiritual elite and you guys need to listen to us. And um, you can still feel that influence in the church today. The academic elite, you know, the 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 doctors of theology, the bishops and the apostles of this day who uh, you know, somehow think that they have revelation that goes beyond what God has given us in the in the in the Christian scriptures. Do not be fooled. If it contradicts what the word of God says, it's wrong. And um, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Gnosticism, but the basic idea that somehow other people have spiritual knowledge that goes beyond the scriptures uh, is what they were pushing. And, you know, that hides this wonderful understanding that each one of us has God in Christ in us, and we have the God-given ability to understand His work. Now, doesn't mean that none of us are teachable and that we can't learn from each other and from other people. I mean, you know, how ignorant were you before you sat down and took power for abundant living, (laughs) right? Pretty, I was pretty ignorant, you know, but all of that stuff, you know, for the most part, lined up with what the Bible says. It wasn't a going beyond what the Bible was telling, teaching us. It was a revealing of what the Bible was teaching us and how to uh, understand the Bible. And one of the first principles we, we learned there, or the first principle we learned there, is no, knowing this first, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, one's own interpretation, right? So um, we have a choice, either there's only two possibilities. Either it's uninterpretable or it interprets itself. And uh, we learned those concepts of how the, the Bible interprets itself right where it's written, right? In the verse, or what was the other one? Next one was in the context. Context is very, very important. And the first verses here in in First uh, John chapter 1, he's going to give us a little bit of context here. Okay, so says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and our hands touched concerning the word of life. The Apostle John was an eyewitness to these things. And we have 2,000 years old, but it is an eyewitness testimony. Here is a man who is saying what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched with our hands. And the we being, of course, the other believers, the other apostles, the other faithful men and women who walked and talked with Jesus, who saw, you know, the miracles that he did. And then also, you know, who lived on after the book of Acts, lived on during the book of Acts and saw the incredible stuff that happened there. And it's all written down for us. And it is it is available for us to enjoy these eyewitness testimonies. And historically speaking, in the context of history, the Bible stands out far and beyond any other form of ancient literature as far as the authenticity of it, the amount of copies that are available. I I think there's something like 35,000 manuscripts that contain biblical, original manuscripts that go date back like millennia that hold the word of God. And because of the way that 
computers work these days. They've been able to throw that stuff into a computer. And I believe we're at something like 98.5, 99% accuracy as far as, you know, what we have today compared to what was originally written. And that one, 1.5% is kind of a negligible, you know, the no doctrinal uh, issues with that. It's just, you know, a, a, a maybe a word here and there, but it's it's quite remarkable how God has preserved his word down through the millennia. And he did that. He did that so that we could have this anchor by which a compass by which we can live our lives according to the truth of his wonderful, wonderful word. And isn't that comforting? Isn't that um, amazing that we have such a rock to build our lives upon, I'm, I'm just, I'm very, very thankful. And, you know, as I get older and I look at my life and I, I see the time and the investment that I, I make in the word of God, you know, it's, I, I'm get, it's definitely at the point where it, at now it's all or nothing. I mean, I, you know, I, there's no going back now. I'm, I'm, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound, all in on this thing. And you take a look at God's word and you see how it has been preserved over the years, how it is faithful, how it is true. It's just absolutely, I mean, the comfort level is just fantastic. And, um, you know, we got to remind ourselves of this stuff when we are inundated with the cares of the world, which happens, you know, a lot <laughs> because we, we got to live in this world. We got to deal with the things of this world. And so we need to continually remind ourselves of the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the heavenly father. Verse two says, and the life was revealed and we have seen and are testifying and are declaring to you the life in the age to come, which was with the father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So there's already been a testimony. There's already been a declaration. You know, it, it would appear that there's kind of some groundwork that needs to be laid before you get into First John. You need to know a little bit about what this testimony is and what it is that they were declaring. And, you know, this is why I think it's very important uh, that for new believers, they get firmly grounded in the church epistles. Now, Christianity today, if you go to a church and you get converted, they'll probably give you a gospel of John. And, and this is problematic. This is very problematic because the gospel of John written by John, again, historically, contextually, there's a lot in it that deals with, you know, the, the heresies that are risen in his day and time. And it can, it can get very confusing, you know, if you don't have that foundation of the church epistles, Romans through Thessalonians. The testimony of the apostles, we hear a lot in Christian churches, the apostles' doctrine. Uh, have you ever read the Apostles' Creed? The Apostles' Creed is, is a, a, a supposed to be the creed of the apostles. But when you read it, you go, wait a minute, this, this doesn't line up with what I know is going on in the, the church epistles. This doesn't seem to be, you know, lining up with what Paul taught or what Peter testifies to. So, you have to view everything through the eyes of the written, revealed canon of Scripture that we have written directly to the church, which is the church epistles. We start there, Paul's epistles. And 
Um, you know, when you look at what Paul testifies of himself, what the Lord designated for Paul to do, he was the apostle of Jesus Christ for the revelation of the sacred secret. And that's very important, very important to understand because the secret was held in God in total and complete secret so that nobody had any idea what he was up to because, you know, if you're trying to beat an enemy, you don't let him know your plans. And that's what the the father was doing in Jesus Christ. He was beating the devil at his own game. But like it says in First Corinthians, had the God of this world known what was going on, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Um, but so everything that we read, everything that we do, everything that we uh, examine has to be looked at through these goggles of scripture, specifically the Christian scriptures written to us, and even more specifically through the foundational scriptures, which are found in the church epistles, Romans through Thessalonians. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that we heard in Power for Abundant Living, which is a class that we took, a foundational class, a lot of us a long time ago, but it still holds true today, that if you spend six months a year just focusing on the church epistles, you will not recognize yourself when you get to the end of it, because it, the, the revelation in there is so amazing, so specific to us in this day and time, that it, it's just absolutely life-changing. Uh, anyway, so verse 4. Let's, uh, let's read that because this is very cool. And we are writing these things to you, three, these things, so that your joy may be made complete. Well, I'd like my joy made complete, so let's keep reading. And this is the message, verse 5, that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. No darkness in God. None. So if bad things happen to you, dark things happen to you. Is it from God? No, because there's no darkness in God. And yet the Gnostics taught that the creator of this world was evil, an evil demiurge or something like that. Here's a direct contradiction to what they had to say. There is no darkness in God. He is light. That should be very comforting to us. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, but continue to walk in the darkness, we are lying and not obeying the truth. But if we continue to walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's important information. It's very easy to fall into condemnation when you blow it and you will blow it because you're a human being. And if we go back to the church epistles, we know from Romans chapter 7 that the good that I would, I don't do. And the evil that I would not, that I do. Who's going to deliver me from this dead body, this flesh? We thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we want to walk in the light. We want to have fellowship with God by walking in the light. You know, words influence actions. And what you think about and what you digest mentally is going to influence actions. But it's your actions that actually determine your loyalty, right? You're like working for the government and you've got, you know, 
top secret information and you hear about the possibility that you could, you know, maybe sell some of that information to the enemy for and make a killing on it. And they'll pay you very handsomely. And then maybe you think about that. You're not guilty of espionage until you actually commit the act. But I guarantee you that if you keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, eventually it's going to sound like a pretty good idea. We are children of God. That is already a done deal. You are a son of God. Nothing can change that. But your actions determine where your loyalties lie. We want to walk in the light, not in darkness. And this is a moment by moment, thought by thought battle that we have to deal with in this world. You know, uh, I taught on the past about how we're kidnapped victims. We've been kidnapped by the enemy. We were kidnapped, says in Ephesians, that we were, you know, citizens of the world. And all of us were possessed of the devil, by the devil. We were his possessions, but we have been brought back and rescued. Well, what did we learn in that time that we were kidnapped? What kind of treatment were we afflicted by? What kind of thoughts did we have? Those issues, those heart issues, that those narratives, those uh, thoughts that have been planted in our hearts have to be dealt with. They don't just disappear. I mean, sometimes people get delivered from incredible stuff like that. But for the most part, we come into fellowship with God with a lot of stuff that has to be dealt with. And it is this walk in the light, the shining of this light that dispels that darkness. And we have to continually, moment by moment, make the choice to walk in the light and not to obey the darkness that may or may not be living in our hearts. Verse 2, chapter 1 says, My little children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate who pleads our case to the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He's the atoning sacrifice. An atonement means you're paying a price that is due, all right? Not to be confused with the old word propitiation, which means that you're buying something back. You're paying somebody off. There's a difference. God provided Jesus Christ as an atoning sacrifice. He paid for you the price that was due so that you could be declared righteous. God has always been for us. It's not like there was something that we owed him that had to be paid in the sense of, you know, he's holding it out, holding out on us this gift. No, he paid the price through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. It's an atonement. And that's an absolute, that's a done deal, an absolute done deal because Jesus Christ's blood covers all your sin. But we need to understand the difference between where we're at spiritually and where we're at in the actual walk, fellowship walk that we have with him. Spiritually, the price is paid. You are declared righteous, declared righteous. Now, that's that's interesting because, you know, there are times where we see people that get off and are declared not guilty when there's a heavy suspicion that they actually were guilty. You know, you remember the guy who had the glove and if the glove don't fit, you must have quit. Yeah. Well, that guy was declared not guilty. And you kind of a lot of us scratched our heads over that one. Right. 
but he was still declared not guilty and he was free to go. We are declared not guilty, despite the fact that we still have to deal with the sin that dwells within. We just read it. If we say we don't have sin, you know, we're calling them a liar. We need to confess our sins and deal with them, not deny them. Well, I'm righteous. I'm justified. I'm sanctified. That's all true. You're declared all that. You're declared all that. But you've still got to deal with the sin that dwells within. Verse three. And this is how we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandment, obedience, keeping the commandments of God absolutely essential. You know, words, words, yeah, words are cheap, easy. There's there's a lot of men in a lot of pulpits that speak a lot of wonderful, righteous, beautiful words. And then the next thing you know, they're on TV for stealing or, you know, running around with hookers or whatever. And uh, words, words are cheap. Actions, actions are what determine your your loyalty. Verse four, whoever says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Well, that should be convicting. And whoever keeps his word in this person, the love of God has truly been perfected. This is how we know that we are in union with him. The one who says he remains in union with him is obligated to walk just as he walk. How did Jesus walk? You know, if if God grades on a curve, we're all in a lot of trouble because Jesus is pulling an A plus. And I'm maybe, a well, I don't even want to (laughs) say, I don't even want to say, but I'll tell you something. Uh, There's, there's a convicting obligation right here. You know, don't tell me that you know the Lord Jesus, that you are walking with the Lord if you do not keep his commandments. And I'm not talking about a religious obligation. I'm talking about loyalty, loyalty, loyalty to the royalty. Get a T-shirt that says that. Verse seven, beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you. That's This is so not new. David had to obey. Moses had to obey. Abraham had to obey. Nothing new, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. On the other hand... I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light already shines. We live in a time of such immense grace. Think about it. You're Romans 10, 9 and 10. You confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You are saved, emphatically saved, done deal. You could never have another thought about Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. Walk like the devil himself, and you're still saved because you're a son. It's seed. And no matter, you know, no matter how badly a son treats his parents, he's still his son. That's the light of the new commandment that we have because, you know, it's an accomplished reality today. Moses looked forward to that day. Abraham looked forward to that day. David looked forward to that day. We are living in that day. Just, you know, let your lips confess great thankfulness for this incredible time that we live in. Verse nine, whoever says he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brothers and sisters remains in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother or sister is in the darkness 
and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It is in relationship that we see the fulfillment of the commandments of God, you know, to love one another, to not lie, to not be angry and let the sun go down upon your wrath, to speak truth, to not steal relationships, relationships. You know, the first and great commandment is, and it's Matthew 22, is to, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The first commandment informs the second commandment. If the first commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself and you don't define what love is, you have a real problem, right? And we see that today in our culture. Oh, love is love. Yeah, love is love. No, God clearly defines what love is. And it is the first great commandment that informs, corresponds to the second great commandment. What is it for me to love you? It is to keep God's commandments of his revealed word and to walk with you according to that. You know, context, absolutely vital. You know, you, 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 you reprove somebody. No matter, you know, and, and they say, well, you don't have a right to judge me. I say, I'm not judging you. The word is judging you, not me. These aren't my standards. If they were my stand standards, then I wouldn't have such a tough time keeping them. <laughs> They're not, you know, it's, it's something I, I read. I thought was absolutely wonderful. It says if, if, if the commandments of the Bible were written by man, why do they contradict the desires of man's heart? What do we want to do? Eat, drink, be merry, just get out there and live like the pagans do. Why do we conform ourselves to what the, what the word says? Why do we transform ourselves to what the word says? Because it's the commandments of God. And when we love, we love according to the standard of what God says love is. Verse 12 says, I am writing to you, O children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, O fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I am writing to you, O young men, because you have conquered the wicked one. I have written to you, O children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I have written to you, O young men, because you are strong and the word of God remains in you and you have conquered the wicked one. These different aspects I don't think are a matter of age. You know, I think it's just a matter of aspects of your life. We are all children of God, like infants, like Gianni. We can always crawl into the lap of the Savior and, and be comforted there. We can always be strong young men spiritually and take a stand against the adversary. You know, as far as being fathers, you know, fathers of the word, fathers of experienced, I should say, in the word, you know, there's a lot of history here, a lot of experience. I look out and, and see you guys, and I know that you all have stories and testimonies to tell, and you have all been standing for many years, and I thank God for you, you know, bless you for that. Continue to do that, because you're at the point now, folks, where, like me, there's no turning back. We've invested our whole lives. We've based our whole lives on this word of God that we hold to be so true. And he hasn't failed us yet, and he's not going to fail us in the future. And as incredible, as incredible as it is to believe 
he is coming back. The Lord Jesus is returning. And every word of scripture and prophecy will be fulfilled. You have a new body coming, folks, a resurrected body like his. Death will be destroyed. Sin will be no more. There will be no more suffering. We need to hold on to these truths. And I, I mean, I know they're, they're like comic book incredible, right? Science fiction incredible. And yet examine the experience of your life. Examine the accuracy of the word and testimony of the word. And you will see that you're, you're betting on the right horse in this race, folks. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because there's two kingdoms at war here, and you cannot serve two masters. Because all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and also its desires. But whoever does the will of God remains forever. O little children, it is the last hour, and just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many Antichrists have come, and so we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really from us. For if they had been from us, they would have remained with us. But they went out with the result that that was revealed that none of them were from us. And you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. The heresies rose up, not from outside the church coming in, but they rose up from within the church and went out. It is absolutely essential that we keep our heads and our eyes and our hearts firmly fixed in the scriptures, in the scriptures specifically written to us, first of all, the church epistles, Romans through Thessalonians, start there, stay there, always come back there, look through what you're reading Look through your life through that lens so that we do not get tricked into these heresies, these anti-Christ heresies. And, you know, I don't need to enumerate them to you. You're, you're well aware. You've been around long enough to know what kind of stuff is being taught in churches today. Verse 21, I have, writ- I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Context. You've got to know the truth. If you're going to read First John and understand it, you've got to have the basic foundation down, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Christ, the chosen Messiah? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And we could go into the Trinity and all this stuff right now, but I'm not going to. You know what's out there. Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, that which you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself promised us life in the age to come. And I think I'll end it there for now. And next week we can continue on in in 1 John. It's an incredible book, but just, you know, as a word of exhortation and of, of comfort to you, there are, there's a lot of stuff going on in our culture today that is, you know, you just scratch your head and wonder what what the heck are people thinking or doing. But this is nothing new. It wasn't too long ago in this very country, about 150 years ago, where we were incredibly divided and polarized, and we ended up having a civil war. You know, um, 
And we survived that, came out on the other end. And it was men and women of faith that took a stand that brought us through that. And you as men and women of faith can take the same stand, bring us through, help your communities, help your families, help yourselves by keeping your head in the word of God. So Heavenly Father, as has already been prayed today, I thank you that you keep us from temptation. You deliver us from evil. Help us not to sin against you. Help us to walk according to your word. May we, you know, if we're having problems, reach out to each other. Of course, reach out to you, but reach out to each other. And may uh, the, the ones that receive such calls for help be ready and willing and able to counsel and to really, you know, bring and bring deliverance and, and help through your wonderful word. And I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but I know that we have the spirit of God in Christ in us and that you will give us the words that need to be spoken. And we thank you that we can just trust you and believe you and know that you will work mightily within us to willing to do of your good pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for just counting us worthy to be fellow laborers for you and with you in this wonderful endeavor. And uh, just help us to be bold and confident and locked into who it is we're serving and what it is we're doing here. Thank you, Father, in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus for this awesome privilege of working with you to build up the body of Christ. Amen. What if you know something I don't? What if you will something I won't? If you don't give me what I want, but you give me what I need, is that enough to? Believe, believe in your love Will I still believe, 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 believe in your love So nothing's ever going wrong, right? And every day I'm gonna be smiling Turn my water into good wine And let the good times roll But what if you know something I don't? What if you will something I won't? What you can do for me Do I love you? Do I love you? Do I love you? What you can do for me Sometimes I don't know But all I wanna do